You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live from Diamond Tina Shire in the Desert Rock FM studios. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and of course, Errol Parker. How are you, Errol? I'm all right, mate. It's good to be here. It's good to be dry somewhere east of uh, Alice Springs. Seemingly rare these days, but yeah, good to be dry out here and sending our thoughts to the people of Northern Rivers in the southeast corner of our state, Clancy. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Just when we thought we might be able to, uh, you know, chug along and enter 2022 with a bit more peace of mind, we're witnessing horrible scenes over there in Eastern Europe and, of course, the floods now down the east coast of Australia, which, of course, comes straight after two, three years in lockdown. You know, not much positive came from that. A lot of people either uh, really experienced somewhat of a glow up or they consumed more information than they ever thought possible or they learnt how to homeschool children. There were a lot of pros, a lot of cons. One pro, though, was the content we saw coming out of Australian television and Australian uh, film, uh, particularly in the streaming. We've seen a renaissance, some would say, in Australian television. And uh, today we're joined by someone who is at the forefront of that, one of the most exciting roles in Australia, the Director of Content for Netflix Australia, Q Min Lu. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. Now, can you explain to me, what's the vibe like in streaming? Australia seems to be a little bit of a engine room at the moment. We're seeing so much stuff coming across, you know, right across the board from, you know, traditional TV into the streamers, uh, both drama and reality. Yep, it's a hotbed of activity and, you know, for Team Netflix, we've really just hit the ground running with the content because our content team has only been operating for 18 months now. We're about to launch our first show, but it's been really great just as a punter and someone in the industry as well. It's been really great to see what Stan's doing, what Amazon's doing and Paramount Plus as well. So we're all trying to keep up with each other, but I think that's a really good bit of news for Australian audiences. One thing you kind of realise even after the pandemic, when everyone's kind of out and about, is that everyone has time to watch their shows. It doesn't matter how many streamers have set up here. It doesn't matter how much local content's being made or how much TV shows you just cannot miss coming out of the States or you know elsewhere in the world. Everyone seems to have uh, the time to do it. But what I want to know is how you guys, I mean, I'm not, not sure how big your team is, but how do, how do you have the time to be on all these projects? Because it's not just, I mean, uh, Byron Bays is out, but it's not just that. You've got Heartbreak High. We're doing Heartbreak High. We're in post for Heartbreak High. We've got Wellmania in production, which is with Celeste Barber. We've just announced Boy Swallows Universe as well. We've got a Reverend, which is shooting up in Queensland as well. There is a lot. I mean, we really rely on the partnerships we have in industry. So we work with production companies who are making the shows for us in the same way that the ABC and and the free-to-air networks would work as well. So we work really closely with creatives and producers to, to make these shows. But you're right, we have a really, really tiny team. So there's about four of us in content. So, you know, we're just trying to keep those fires burning and moving as quickly but as thoughtfully as we can just to uh, get good stuff out there because as much as there's good stuff out there, everyone seems to run out of things to watch as well. So we've got to feed the beast. I'm interested to know, though, as a director of content, how much content you have to consume. I mean, you've got TV and movies just for a start and then you've got books, scripts. Basically, yeah, my life is scripts, books, TV. Probably don't read enough books, to be honest, but... You're mostly fielding ideas, so people are pitching project ideas to you from scripted to non-scripted of varying, varying 
types from reality to kind of hugely premium kind of genre ideas and what have you. So yeah, it's a churn. And part of the sorcery, I guess, is to just be able to pick the ones you think are going to hit. And I guess we'll just wait and see. You you kind of just have to suck it and see. That's the strategy. So what do you look for in scripts? You know, like what is something that really draws you into something that you think that Netflix might like to explore further? People are going to find this really annoying, but it's basically we know what we don't like. Mm -hmm. But Basically, how our team works, we really want local stories. Mm. We really want shows that are uniquely Australian. And that's sort of the Netflix model when it comes to a more global approach towards content. It's about empowering local markets, local teams to make local content the way they know how. So as Australians, we're experts in in the uh, art of being Australian. So we're really given a lot of trust to find shows that mean something to Australian audiences. So for us, it's about what is uniquely Australian, but at the same time, what is kind of familiar enough. So our approach has really been, we want people to know what they're getting and then we want to surprise them. So part of that distinction is how Australian we can be. And I think that's really unique on a service like Netflix where you haven't necessarily been used to it in the way that we're trying to do it. And we're sort of going with this approach of innovating the familiar. So you take something like Byron Bay's, which is a reality show. It's a docu-soap. You know exactly what kind of show it is in terms of the, the structure of it, the approach, the kind of participants you will have. But the secret sauce for us is like, what is the Australianness in it? Mm-hmm. But not just what is the Australianness of it, but what is it trying to say? So for us with Byron Bay's, it was like, you know, seeing Byron as we've not seen it before, challenging assumptions. And on a bigger level, on a, sort of if you zoom out from it, it's about influencer culture. What makes people want to share themselves online? What is the drive? What is the wound that makes them want to do it? And how do we see them as people? Because we're all kind of sharing ourselves online, aren't we? Like they're just this group of people, they're just better at it than we are. They're so good. They're really good at it. (laughs) Um, So being able to show that on screen and show them as human and show them as people who have dreams and aspirations and goals and a desire to belong and be accepted by a group, that's something that's really quite universal for all of us. It just happens to be in this very, very unique Byron clique that is kind of interesting to see as well. So I don't think Byron's kind of been shown like this. Yep. Ever. It's usually used as a kind of beautiful location and I know it's a very specific image of Byron but it's also super, super distinctive and very, very us. Yep. So when you watch it, you see these Australian references, you see this Aussie culture on display. It's awesome to yeah. us. Yeah. So How do you deal with – there's something also inherently Australian you go looking for yourself mm. but it's also inherently Australian to respond – negatively when the mirror is just a little too clear. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what you're saying now is influencer culture, Byron Bay. Yeah. Byron, as we know, likes to think of themselves, they like to think of themselves as Byron 20 years ago. Yeah. But also being on the cutting edge of all Australian culture and, yeah. and thought. Meanwhile, you have captured this authentic Byron story, which not a lot of people want to really see shown back at them. So how have you uh, negotiated backlash that first came about? Yeah, look, honestly, it's about going back to how much we stand by the creative. And to us, the participants, they are in the community. Some of them have grown up there, been born and bred. Some of them have lived there for a number of years. Some of them are new. And I would say that is pretty accurate to what Byron is like now. You know, sometimes you move to 
Byron and you're a local after six months, sometimes you live there for 20 years and you're still not local enough, mm -hmm. right? Who decides? Yeah. The point is that every one of us, whether we live there or not, have some kind of relationship or sense of what Byron Bay means to us. Mm. Like to me, it was schoolies in 2004. Uh, it wasn't really. I'm just, you know, making a joke. But yeah. it, was a, it was the image of what Australia was yeah. to me. So I get that there is a, a sense of ownership over it, mm -hmm. but what's clear is that it contains multitudes and a, yeah. a whole lot of contradictions. So what we're focused on is its particular group yeah. of Byron and to that particular group, it's super authentic. And I think it's a world that a lot of people will find familiar and to some other Byron locals, it maybe won't feel as familiar, yeah. but I don't think you know, the Real Housewives of Melbourne is representative of all of Melbourne either, no, no. right? And But I get that sense of ownership because yeah. when you have been craving representation for years, you want it to be pristine and perfect, yeah. right? But what I feel this show articulates is this complexity yeah. beyond what you would assume is complex because yeah. you assume that it's all about image and, and getting likes and follows and shares, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. And, and there's so many different layers to that area. You know, we could go back to the Parkway Drive, those days, when the, the scene in Byron was mm. straight edge, you know, yeah. metal. Hugely influential band, by the way. Yeah. Half a million followers on Instagram. Like, yeah. they're huge. Yeah, they're, they're, they're massive, and, and that was the birth of it in Australia, that scene. You know, you could go way back to the draft-dodging Vietnam era. These aren't the stories we hear about Byron, and, you know, there's probably a series in every one of those kind of eras. But right Feel now... Feel free to pitch them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to... Uh, Put on the credence and write the script of the Vietnam <laughs> draft dodgers who, yeah. who teamed up with the whalers and yeah. started growing the herbs. that Chris Hemsworth is building the Westfield there, you know, <laughs> just for himself. You know. I mean, it, I have family in Byron who've been there for like 40 years, mm -hmm. you know, and it has gone through so much evolution over time. But, you know, in that evolution, there is a core mm -hmm. belief in like healing yeah. and spirituality and community as yeah. well. And that has evolved over the years and has different iterations, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, different, different and uh, many layers. So uh, for everything that Byron is and was, it'll be good to see your particular uh, perspective or your particular take on, on, on what's happening there at this very moment yeah. with this group of people. I kind of want to go back to what you were saying before about uh, finding the Australianness, but also the uniqueness. Mm. The Heartbreak High is going to be a very interesting one because the original Heartbreak High was probably the first time a lot of Australians saw kind of, you know, Southern European kids, you know, Drazic. Yeah. Was that the first kind of Balkan on Australian television? And, and perhaps the last. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, outside of the tennis. But yeah. that was groundbreaking in itself. Yeah. How do you kind of take that into the turn of the millennium turn of the millennium yeah. yeah look the thing that i want to make really clear about heartbreak high like when we commissioned it i made an offer on it very very quickly i was yeah. 4 weeks into the job and i was like heartbreak high that's the thing that we have to do and the reason for that was because it was this huge cultural watershed kind of title in the 90s and as a child of the 90s i was really obsessed with it and it was the first time i felt represented and all that sort of stuff so when we think about how we're going to reboot it for today it's not a photocopy of the original at all. It's sort of tangentially in the same universe, mm -hmm. but it's a whole different generation of students. You know, when I say it's not a photocopy of the original, the core thing that we were keeping other than the title is this feeling of being seen, heard and mm -hmm. understood. And so what does that manifest as for 
a teenager in 2022 as opposed to the 90s. Mm. Teens are different. I mean, there are some things that will always stay the same in terms of, you know, adolescence (laughs) and betrayal and coveting your, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend's best friend or something, right? But it was about that feeling of rebellion and the feeling of being seen and understood, which in the Australian context is really important, I think, particularly as we haven't really had a show like Heartbreak High since Since the original. Did you experience those feelings watching it? Yeah, it was super groundbreaking. I was like, oh, my God, a Vietnamese character. And he's not, you know, a science nerd. It was super groundbreaking. The difference for us with this iteration was that back in the day, it was like representation was groundbreaking. And Mm -hmm. for us today, it's not groundbreaking at all. It is foundational. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want to bang the same drum with representation because to us it's part and parcel. So what was different was the attitude. But when I say attitude, I mean in terms of like what is for Gen Z, you know, what are the hallmarks of being a Gen Zer? Mm-hmm. Is that what you call them, Zoomers or whatever? Yeah, yeah. God, I'm old. You know, what are those hallmarks? And to us, it was about this idea of fluidity and this comfort with, you know, experimenting with your identity and this sense of hope and optimism, you know, for the future, rather than the kind of apathetic grunge 90s, you know, of Gen X's, (laughs) right? So, you know, that attitude was different. We wanted to kind of pay homage to that Mm. and really represent that. I'm assuming growing up in Queensland and uh, watching the first iteration in Queensland, I'm assuming it was Sydney's western suburbs, Heartbreak High is vaguely set. It was South Sydney. South Sydney? Yeah, Maroubra Way, which is where this reboot is is kind of set as well. I guess South Sydney is a good example of that. It's not necessarily enclavey. All you got to do is look at a rabbitos, you know, crowd, um, and you see, you know, a vast array of different backgrounds and, and different stories. Yeah. How do you do the research on the ground? Do you do focus groups with the kids, or do you visit the schools and see what a classroom looks like and and what kids are wearing? And you know. Yeah, I mean, look, in the world of Heartbreak High, everyone is in mufti every day, so yeah. that's different. Yeah. That's a Heartbreak High thing that we kept. We did do research and spoke to a lot of teens. The writers did that. We did some um, research as well, and it was it was also around like just asking them what they wanted to see on mm-hmm. screen. And it was pretty universal, this this sense of wanting to not just see themselves but but kind of see the issues and the stories that kind of occupy them because as an Australian audience, not just teen Australians, we're very good at watching other English language shows and just projecting ourselves onto them because yeah. we don't have enough content, like yeah. we need to make more. So, you know, we're good at watching 13 Reasons Why and just going, well, those are American teens, but I can kind of imprint my, you know, adolescence onto that and, and go with it. But there is a yearning for that authentic Australianness, Australian teen experience, which I think is very, very distinct from the UK and, and America. Like American teens and British teens will react differently or have a slightly different response to yeah. what Australian teens are, which to me is more like... Well, our teens are little shits. If you've ever been bullied by a pack of 14-year-olds, like yeah. I have one time, yeah. you know you know what I mean, yeah. right? It's So that sort of smart-assness yeah. deserves its own show, goddammit. For sure. Yeah. And, the you know, the idea that you drive 40 minutes to a house party. Exactly. That's a very Australian experience. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of bike riding in this. But, um, yeah, it, we did speak to a lot of teens and our creator, Hannah Carol Chapman, who's amazing, like she has siblings in that age range and, you know, we did a lot of talking to parents and their teenagers, uh, what, what occupied them and what they wanted to see. You kind of, from what we've already spoken about here, we, we talk about the golden brown, you know, 
that sunshine of the northern rivers and, and what that represents. We kind of look at the, the gritty kind of blue hue of South Sydney, Southwest Sydney. Mm. Another project you're working on takes us kind of to like the humid rural outskirts of Brisbane mm-hmm. uh, in the shape of Trent Dalton's bestseller, Boy Swallows Universe, which is finally coming to the screens with your team. Yeah. How did that come about? It's not often that an Australian book is kind of something that we hear about being made into TV so quickly. Yeah, I mean, we were stoked to be able to partner with Joel Edgerton and Troy Lamott at Brouhaha and Trent Dalton on this. And the scripts were amazing. It was just something special. Mm -hmm. It was something that, look, not dissimilar to Heartbreak High in some sense, but something that meant something really significant to Australian readers, the public as important as uh, culturally as Heartbreak High was to a lot of us, so is Boy Swallows Universe. So being able to do that and do it at a level that we think is, you know, worthy of the story as well was great. And I think when you think about where we begin our slate, which is Byron Bay's, which I'm so proud of and I think is a super, super elevated premium sort of reality docu-soap. And it's the first out of the gate. First out of the gate. I mean, it's also, you know, timing because you can make reality shows a bit faster. We've only been working for 18 months. so. (laughs) But knowing where we're going to go, you know, it was really important to us to sort of signify what our ambition is for Australian shows on Netflix. The one thing I, I also want to know is, you know, you've obviously got a team, how many did you say? A team of... Uh, four. There's about four of us. team of four. I'm guessing a lot of you have come out of Australian TV. Yeah, I'm an ex-ABC. Ex-ABC. This, this must be gruelling now that you've got the job and you know so many people in TV. Uh-huh. How do you navigate dinner parties? It's like, oh, by the way, I should show you this thing. I, I don't go out. I mean, there's, it, there was a pandemic. There was a yeah, pandemic. Oh, yeah. I got my job during the pandemic. Yeah. So so basically, you know, all the kind of networking schmoozing that you used to do is now very, very disciplinedly rolled out in like half hour increments. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. there's no time for small talk. You yeah. state your business in 30 minutes or yeah. less and then you move on. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all kind of feeling that. We yeah. really need to get back out there and, and sort of see people again and and as as everything's opening up we'll we'll be able to do that more but I've been in my pajamas 90% of the time in front of a laptop just getting things done so it is as glamorous as it sounds. Now that we've got so many streaming platforms in Australia now I guess in the past our media hasn't done a very good job of representation and really having a diversity of stories do you think it's a, it's it's only going to get better and we're going to you know totally certainly enter like a bit of a golden age totally absolutely australian content i think i think one of the things about streamers commissioning australian stories and the the big shift for me when i moved from the abc to netflix was not being beholden to programming schedules yeah. Yeah. if it doesn't fit at 8.30 p.m. on a Sunday night, that's okay. Yeah, right. Um, and that is why Heartbreak High hasn't, or a show like Heartbreak High hasn't really been able to be made since the original because there wasn't a time slot for it. Yeah. So it's no one's fault. It's not that no one wanted to make that show. It wasn't yeah. that there wasn't an audience for it, but there wasn't a time slot. And so there is a there there is so a constraint. Get, get pushed out by news? There's news. I mean, 5.30 p.m. is usually like the, the teenage yeah. s- slot. Yeah. But that audience segment has kind of been getting younger and younger over over the years. Yeah. So suddenly plugging in a pretty edgy teen, you know, show. Sex, drugs, you know, rock and roll, it, yeah. It's a bit of a shock to the system, right? Mm. So I get it. Like, you know, you have and, – and as kind of investment has become more constrained, it means that you are able to make less and less. Yeah. So having – 
streamers come into the landscape and start commissioning more stuff, that's where you get Romper Stomper yeah. and Bump yeah. from Stan. Yeah. That's where you get, you know, More Than Words on Paramount+. Plus. Like, that's where you get all of that stuff, yep. that, that flexibility to experiment with the kinds of shows that you're making. That is an interesting thing because f- when reality TV came up, I mean, first appeared on, on mainstream television, mm. it kind of did take a lot of the slots as well. We went from country practice, stingers, blue murder, yeah. heartbreak high, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's just Big Brother Idol. And so now you've kind of, I guess, with the with the rise of streaming, we're able to go back to those days where someone had a TV show, show in them and they yeah. could take it to someone. And they yeah, could. and that's like the range of possibility. And don't get me wrong, like the free-to-airs are doing amazing work still commissioning mm. shows like mm. that, but, it's, but the limitations of what investment is yep. in the industry makes it really really difficult and when you make unscripted programming it's cheaper reality is also the most watched genre after sport i mean you see with like the really sad news about neighbors finishing up you know like we used to watch soap operas like a country practice and and neighbors but but audiences are kind of shifting more towards reality shows Mm -hmm. which i understand and i would say with Docu soaps like Byron Bay. Docu soap. Yeah. I like this. I yeah, like this idea so because it's uh, it's, it's you got the soap in it. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. and there that's where we get our drama. That's where mm. we get our kind of accessible everyday drama. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it was fun to kind of think of well, if we do this show. Byron Bay's, how can we kind of lean further into that genre? Because mm-hmm. it's, I've never made a reality show before. Yeah. I don't watch heaps of reality, not because I don't like it, but because I just. I don't have the time to your earlier yeah, point yeah, about yeah, how yeah. you fit everything in. I can't watch like two hours of Bachelor every night. It's just, it's a huge ask. So yeah, I yeah. have to compartmentalize my viewing habits. Yeah. But people love it. And the idea of being able to lean into reality and kind of explore how that, I mean, it's, it is a craft how it's made because you're working with real people's stories. They are willing to share themselves on screen for three months of their lives. And, you know, there is so much work done and craft involved in kind of maintaining the surprise, following their lives, allowing like things to organically happen, facilitating those organic things to happen. It is sorcery how Mm. it's made. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, the participants in our show, I mean, you have to have balls of steel. I know that's a sexist term, Mm. but um, to be willing to share yourself yeah. Like that, yeah. particularly when you are social media people. And, and you've got an existing brand. And those images, those brands are heavily curated. And to now you're be putting willing, it in your hands. Yeah, yeah. To, to be willing to share and to have that kind of fortitude to be like, well, this is me. Yeah. Deal yeah. with it is incredible. Like yeah. I toff my cap to them. Yeah. And it's going to be on the internet forever. <laughs> <laughs> Until yeah. the end of humanity. Yeah. It'll always be there. And that's the exhilaration, I guess. You know, everyone's everyone's doing something, whether you're making it from your end or they're going on it. Yeah. Did you, I mean, you watched it. You yeah, watched yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And thanks for that, by the way. We got the you're previews. welcome. Yeah. yeah. What did you think? What I thought was when I go to Byron and I see those kind of whether they're little spats mm-hmm. happening or they're like dates and I think that's what they're talking yeah. about yeah. that's what these people are talking about that you know the only people I engage with in Byron are the five people I arrived with yeah. and then booked into a hotel with or booked into an Airbnb with you know you don't really see what's going on but you know people are there all the time so mm-hmm. that was the thing I took out of it the most and then of course you know as the drama it goes somewhere else after yeah. that once you're personally invested in the drama and the stories you forget everything I mean uh, I know it was no longer at the beach hotel, <laughs> yeah. I was um, I was in this world. Well, yeah. Initially, it 
like from the outside before i watched it i was in the camp of i'd rather have a knee reconstruction than watch something Uh like that yeah but the whole time i was watching it the more i didn't want to watch it i I, I was like no keep it going i've got to see what you should just embrace the fact that you like it yeah yeah. because a lot of people love to hate reality tv and i think part of the backlash is because it's a reality show right yeah which I totally understand, but it's really interesting. I think it's a very specifically Australian thing as well mm. is that, and, you know, I, I hesitate to say, like, there's some cultural elitism in it. Not to, I'm, oh. I don't mean to accuse you of cultural elitism, <laughs> no. but we fall over ourselves sometimes oh, to yeah. say, oh, it's appalling, but I yeah. couldn't stop watching. And, and that's the same. We see it with Shane Warne's eulogies, you know what I mean? Mm. Remember how he was spoken about, yeah. you know, by... The, you know, with the cultural elitism, the, the way Shane Warne was spoken about throughout his whole career. And then when he's dead, yep. we kind of look back and go, geez, they went a bit hard on, you know, this this bloke at, at certain points of his career. And, and we, we realise how much he meant to a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah. And there is something about that accessibility mm. and that relate. I mean, you know, he was an influencer. He was yeah. just an influencer prior to social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> he forged a connection between himself and the kind of person he was Ash- with his public. Hair? What's the hair? Ashley Martin hair? <laughs> no, he was uh, advanced hair studio. Advanced yeah. hair, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And the one with the infrared lights. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, but that Nicorette. kind of accessibility I don't think should be, fr- like, mm. you know, there's yeah. – there's no point being snobby about it. Yeah, like, no. basic bitches need entertainment yeah. too, and yeah. I am a basic bitch. Yeah, yeah, so. and and we all are. And if we're not, I mean, it's, if, it's, if we're it's honest, extremely with relatable though. Yeah, I mean, like, like every man with hair loss is like, <laughs> oh, maybe I should. Oh, if Warney's doing it, oh. if Warney's doing exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, that's role modelling, right? Yeah. Did you get to spend a bit of time up in Byron throughout all this, or you've been you've been in the lab? I did go to Byron once. Yeah. It was a bit of the eye of the storm at the yeah. time, yeah. but um. You know, I got to see the production made. I saw um, some of the shooting and it was, like I said, that's where I was like, oh, my God, this is actually really incredible yeah. how, how this stuff is made. So I did go to Byron once. I've been to Byron a number of times. I do have family there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yes, other than that, pretty much, you know, nose to the grindstone. Yeah. The Byron thing in itself is interesting. I feel like Byron became a whole nother thing in the pandemic. You know, we had the celebrities flying in. We had all the, you know... Mm. All the people with COVID who were going there. Yeah, we had, well, we had all that kind of stuff. But it became almost a worldly household word, Byron Bay. And then, of course, we had the Seven Perfect Strangers yeah. or whatever that was. And we got to see that landscape. And, and that's now... People are familiar with that around the world. Yeah. You kind of had this in the pipeline well before that Byron COVID glow up. Yeah, I look. I yes, it it was. I look. I look. I started the job during the pandemic, so things were kind of in train already. But to us, when we did this show and decided to greenlight it, it was about you know Byron is often used as this beautiful location or a proxy for California or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and all those, um, all those Morton Bay figs in California. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to us, it, it, this was an opportunity, and for better or for worse, and I know some people didn't like it, and others were fine but for us going in it was an opportunity to really explore Byron as or an aspect of Byron Mm -hmm. as it genuinely was to our minds that wasn't an opportunity afforded to Byron by other productions and in that kind of sweep of lots of attention being thrown at Byron which has been progressively increasing over the years ever since Paul Hogan bought a place there in the 80s right John Butler um, trios, Xavier Rudd. That's yeah. So all of, all of that, it has been growing in its desirability for decades, yeah. and so you know, I think during the pandemic, it 
hit a tipping point, which I totally understand. And, and you know, everyone's had a pretty crap couple of years mm-hmm. and um, that area now is, is not having a great time, which, is, which yeah. is awful. And so I think that sort of anguish and anxiety around that is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when a company comes in, like I can see that, you know, the spectre of Netflix can be an intimidating thing. And if there's no trust in what it is that you're trying to do, then I can understand that reaction. And no one knew that we were just a pack of four nerds just really loving Australian content and wanting to do something great. (laughs) And you're nowhere near as scary as the entire NRL Mad Mondays that we're all having. (laughs) 2020, they were saying it down at the the stadium in Western Sydney. They go, we just won. We're going to Byron. You know, I feel like that's way scarier. (laughs) You're going to the half acre known as the Beach Hotel. (laughs) Look, at the end of the day, it's silly. It's a bit of fun. But I think it's also really compassionate Mm -hmm. and kind and warm and, you know, what I found really interesting as well was just the like the the Byron versus Gold Coast thing. Like that yeah. was a really interesting thing that came out of it as well. Oh, big time! Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that kind of happens all the way down the coast where those big towns below Byron also yeah. talk shit yeah. about Byron. You know, the like Graftons Yamba. and Yambers. Yes, and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, and but that's how just local. Is that right? Yeah, like, it you, is. Wouldn't, you wouldn't get it's this. Seriously, out of- seriously yeah. local. That is beach culture. It's um, beach culture and it's also, you know, it's Australian culture as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Like even the backlash for me, I was like, oh, I'm getting a go back to where you came from vibe. Yeah, like it's, yeah. And you get it because there's a, there's a fierce sense of loyalty and protectionism, mm-hmm. totally understand, and you, you don't want change. Yeah. And when a place is as beautiful as Byron and when it has been idyllic and you want to kind of retain that, you know, spirit mm-hmm. of it, it's hard to kind of accept anything less. Yeah. That you perceive as less, I guess. Yeah. I mean, all you can say really is give these characters a chance and I'm sure you're going <laughs> to see them on the beach and you're going to say g'day. That's what's going to happen. It's like anything. People sit there and look at a football team that they hate and the player that you know is obviously causing them so much pain in their own sporting team's losses. You know, Someone would look at Queensland Origin player from New South Wales, you look at Queensland Origin player and say, I hate him. But if he walks into the pub, you're probably going to ask for a photo. And that's what I think is going to happen with this Byron so. Bay. I characters. love them all. I really love them all. Yeah. Who's your favourite? Come on. Well, who is the uh, the singer from the Goldie? Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. yeah love that Sarah. Was me. Yeah. I, was, um, I, was, I have a lot of love for Kai. Kai? Yeah, yeah I'd say he would yeah. be my favourite. Yeah. Well, we, we found was... it quite riveting. And, you know, in Batuta Advocate, we kind of interested in these people. Yeah. You know, these are the kind it's of... It's like they're deeply flawed like me. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but we write about them. I'm sure there'll be different narratives that we uh, we write about as, as we go. I mean, if we are getting invested in the um, scripted drama of Euphoria and writing articles about that, you can believe that uh, Byron Bay's someone who could have just lived down the road from us yeah. would be getting a start. I hope so. I hope everyone likes it. Yeah. So what is your um, dream moving forward with Netflix? Just more. Yeah, more? You know, the challenge is we've spent the first 18 months working out what an Australian show on Netflix is, Mm -hmm. and it's a number of different things, but when we come down to its core principles, it's around, you know, we want things that are commercial but Mm -hmm. with a twist, and it's about things that are mainstream that you just haven't seen on screen before. And I think whether it's Byron Bay's or, you know, Wellmania or Boy Swallows Universe, I think that there's something so familiar about it, something that you just know, but also something that feels really, really surprising. So, you know, I just want to do more of those and build up more of an appetite, like just make Australian audiences really, really love what the potential is. 
and just more variety. And that's that's for me, that's for all the other streamers and all the other free-to-wear networks as well. Like the more investment we can put into Australian content, the better. Otherwise, I'll get fired. <laughs> You'll be right. We're all tuning in for Byron Bay. So everyone's tuning in. The one thing I do want to ask is Netflix is also not just Netflix Australia. So it's, it's different with a Stan or an ABC yeah. or, a, or any of the stations where you make a program here and then it quite often, you yeah. look at something like Rake, it gets sold as a concept and they do an American yeah. version, which doesn't do as well. Yeah. But um, with something like Byron Bay, it enters the machine. You yeah, know, it's every, global. And everything you're commissioning enters the machine. Yeah. And anyone over there, if they can hear about it, if they've got friends over here, or even if it, if it makes waves over there, they can watch it. So do you have to keep that in mind too, that like to not go hyper-local? To, no, no, no. Like, we go hyper-local. So yeah. you're, you're, you've it's been basically really, – yeah, the memo is make it for here. Make it for here. Yeah. So if our Australian audiences aren't loving it mm-hmm. and it does really, really well overseas, we've failed. Yeah, okay. Now, it sounds counterintuitive because normally when we've – made Australian content in the past, you make it so that it's quote unquote exportable. So you put an international element in it. You you cast an international person or you throw a shot of the Harbour Bridge or the Opera House in the in the background and there's, oh my God, it's a crocodile, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But when it comes to local content at Netflix, the remit is, no, 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 go local. Make mm-hmm. it as local as possible. Go hyper-local. Don't pull your punches. I mean, there's a line in the first episode of Byron Bay's where I think it's Alex. He says, you know, you, you can't pay big W prices and get David Jones' talent or okay. something. Yeah. Extremely niche. Very, very niche. <laughs> yeah. Very, very us, right? Yeah. But the tone of it, like anyone can kind of figure that out. And actually, we, we want to challenge them to figure it out. Yeah. We want them to embrace Australian culture as well. And we only do that by just embracing it ourselves yeah. and not watering it down or dumbing it down or, or trying to make it appeal to someone else yeah. who's not Australian from the start. It's the and same way with like a K-drama. It's like watch, exactly. it, watch it with subtitles. Don't listen to it dubbed. Watch yeah. it how they made it. Although dubs do make it quite accessible for a lot of audiences, mm. but I personally like the uh, subs. Yeah. But, but absolutely, I mean, my boss is is the person who commissions good game yeah and so she led the team that kind of turns the korean content into the the juggernaut that it is right it's that same mentality it's not where hollywood's awkward younger sibling we are a local team in and of our in and of itself Mm -hmm. we should be seen more like team korea than Team Hollywood. Yeah, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So we embrace. The, Co- we the Koreans certainly didn't make something for Australians. Yeah. No. We all watched it, but it wasn't. It wasn't. You but know, we all watched it. We like, weren't considered while it was being made. That's exactly. For sure. yeah. Exactly. But there is a faith. There's mm. a trust that if you are just holy yourselves, if you make something for your local audience, it will travel. Yeah. And that's certainly how I felt about Singles Infernal. That <laughs> that show is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Considering how. Um, streaming services are with how successful something's been Mm -hmm. how do you measure successful content at netflix well you get to see the secret numbers don't you i do get to see the secret (laughs) numbers yeah but it's how much impact it has it's how many people are watching it's Mm. it's the same kind of impact that you would want if you were at the abc or channel 10 right how many people are watching how many people are talking about it how many people are you know purposefully coming to netflix to watch yeah and this show. only difference is your numbers haven't been done by someone with a clipboard uh, <laughs> working for a major... No uh, talking smack about ABC, <laughs> okay? Oh, no, we've all worked in radio. We know, how, yeah. uh, we know how it works. But, you know, real numbers, hard numbers. And, of course, you get to um, then measure the, the psyche. You get to measure the, you know, the chatter outside of the 
yeah, know, outside and, of those and ultimately, I, like I have to kind of bring it back to that as well. Yeah, our gut as locals mm. tells us a certain thing about what is in the zeitgeist or mm. what is you know the kind of story that everyone wants to see, and there is data that can kind of test that gut instinct. Mm. But ultimately, that's what you're relying on. If you look at the shows we've announced, I think uh, you can see why it is that we've commissioned each of them. Mm-hmm. And the reasons range from very at the top number one position, creative, mm-hmm. to you know the executability of them. But uh, you can kind of see what our process has been. Everyone knows. Like the moment we saw that first logo for Byron Bays, we said, oh, yeah, this will be worth watching. Yeah. Um, because you know exactly what you know exactly what to expect, mm-hmm. but you don't realize that we're about to surprise you yeah. with the level of depth of the show, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's how we do it. Yeah, no, exciting times, exciting <laughs> yeah. times coming up, and um, you know, obviously, uh, this will be first one out the gates and the start of a new wave, the Australian new wave, or the Australian TV Renaissance, as I referred to it at the start. Thank you for joining us, Q Min Lu. Thanks for having me. Oh, exciting times ahead for you. Yes, exciting and tiring. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thank you.